Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Home Wine Making Talkcast with Dave Nelson and the other guy. Welcome to our show on wine. I'm I'm Dave Nelson and uh, I'm the other guy. The other guy. All right. Uh, so uh, Dave and the other guy are gonna take you through our whole uh, experience with uh, home wine making. And uh, we'll introduce ourselves a little bit more here in a minute, but uh, just say a couple of words about what we're going to do in the show. Uh, today, we're going to go through sort of beginning to end the, the, the steps, the 14 steps. Uh, you know, that's, I hadn't thought about that until just a second. There's a 12-step process to move away from alcohol. We got a 14-step process. It's two more here. to make it. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's just a little bit more effort to, you know, get started. So it's we're gonna a take lot it easier to quit drinking than to start. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the 14-step <laughs> program. Then we're gonna take you through the whole 14-step program so you can understand the the basics of how to make wine at home, and uh, we'll also share a, a few of the resources that that we found to be helpful along the way. Uh, but maybe we should. Uh, introduce ourselves a little bit. My, uh, my name is Dave Nelson and I am a, um, I'm an engineer by training which is helpful in making wine because you know measuring stuff and being very meticulous and, and uh, I don't know if engineers are clean but I certainly understand cleanliness in, in uh, making wine. Although it's been a long time since I've worked as an engineer. I've been in corporate management so I'm one of those guys they make fun of in the Dilbert cartoons. I manage engineers but I'm you know I don't actually do any uh, useful work myself. So uh, that's a little bit about me. I uh, don't have any uh, formal training in in wine, but uh, the reason I partnered up with the other guy here was uh, you did say you went to a top wine school. I'm passionate about wine. Okay, that's that's good. But didn't I thought when we partnered partnered up on this thing, you were trained in wine. No, I drink a lot of wine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. And I'm passionate about the things that engineer, engineers typically aren't passionate about. Yes? Okay. Well, other guy, um, tell us a little bit about what you are passionate about. And tell us about yourself. Well, um, should I say I'm a dentist by trade? Sure. You can admit that. I can admit I'm a dentist. Yeah. Ever since the whole nine yards. You know, being a dentist is a lot cooler than it used to be. The dentist was finally the good guy. Exactly. Finally. Very rare. They usually make him out to be an idiot. I like the dentist in Little Shop of Horrors, actually. That's <laughs> that's that's how you make good wine. Ah, uh, right yes, absolutely. So, dentist by trade and passionate about wine, passionate about art, passionate about love, and the love of making wine. Whereas engineers like to measure some of the things we'll be talking about to help make a great homemade wine. I'm passionate about the color, the smell, the aromas, sticking my head in the vat and passing out. That's, that is a good part. I, I like that. I did sense a little bit of 
Um, there seemed to be a little a, a hint of disrespect there. Uh, yeah, I had a, a full uh, a full floor in my dorm in college, an undergraduate of, of engineers. So I tend to run run away from you guys. <laughs> yeah, well that that's smart, but uh, thankfully we managed to make the technology work so that. Uh, thank God you. Thank God there's people like you around. You can be doing this uh, wine podcast or talk cast as we call them now. You probably uh, noticed. Other guy, I almost used your name there, but we're trying to keep that a secret. And maybe we'll please at some point explain the reason. But that's for either later in the show or another show. But uh, you probably noticed that um, I have some wine here, and in fact, I- I'm not sure how to pronounce. This is one of the things about wine. How do you pronounce that wine? Chateau. I got the chateau part. I took French in you know high school. Puri, Lucheny. <laughs> I don't know. I would have said, uh, I guess it's not Pierre. I, I hadn't read it carefully. So, uh, and Reading reading wine labels yeah, is okay. uh, probably more difficult than making wine. Uh, and then that last word, I don't know, looks like Lichine to me. But, you know, Latr- the, latrine? Latrine. <laughs> no, this you, is you've a... You've had this wine before. <laughs> I have not. This is a Grand Cru class, so... You know, here we are talking about home winemaking. We're not going to be uh, making our own or drinking our own wine tonight, although we often do. So this is a uh, a 2000 Margot uh, Chateau bottled, Misson Bottle au Chateau or something like that. It's been a long time since I took French, long time since I was in high school. But uh, you also notice that this isn't opened. Um, one of the things that I must say I've learned about wine is that opening wine and letting it breathe is extremely important. It's amazing how... Um, big a deal that is. And so I'd say, you know, don't ever drink any wine straight out of the bottle. At least pour it and let it sit for 15 minutes. And, and frankly, sometimes they're good after hours and hours. That's a great topic for a future yeah, show. Yeah, okay. So we'll get into that. But uh, I guess the the point at hand, and I am now breaking down and opening this, but I didn't open it and let it for breathe. For God's because sakes, be careful. What is that <laughs> device you're using That's there? That's a, um, a foil cutter. I think foil it's cutter. Called. Yeah. Um, Normally, they have four little razor wheels on them, so you can turn it. You put it on top of the bottle, turn it a quarter turn, and, and you've cut the foil. This is a cheap one where they stuck in you know, these, these hard plastic um, things that masquerade as razor wheels. So there's actually only two. You have to go halfway around. So it's twice as much work to open a bottle of wine with this as it, as it should be. But back to the point, the reason I didn't open this and let it breathe, despite the fact that that's the the ideal way to, uh, you know, consume wine, and so we're not going to be able to drink this right away, was I was hoping you'd bring the wine tonight. But you showed up without a bottle. So next show... My what? two little wheels broke on my... <laughs> oh, I see. Foil dealy there. foil dealy is broken. And it's stuck. Oh, man. Okay, well, let me invite you next time to bring I, your bottle the anyway. The wine is on the other guy. Okay, the, the other guy. Show. Everybody remember that. Other guy's bringing the wine next show. So, anyway, here's our uh, Grand Cru class. Ooh, nice job there with the microphone. All right. And nice pour. W- thank you very much. Are you, you supposed to get a head on it like that? <laughs> <laughs> I might have opened up the beer by accident. Uh, no, um, you shouldn't Strange get a head. Strange straw uh, color. Now <laughs> 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 um, I, I totally lost my train of thought. We poured Dave, this your lab <laughs> results are back. <laughs> Please. 
I think the oxygen down in our wine cellar here is low. Uh, what, what I was going to say was, <laughs> before I was so rudely interrupted by the other guy, is we poured these into Riedel glasses. Um, are you drinking that already? It's barely... Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, now you've tasted it. i got to taste it. No, and I, it's a totally improper thing to do, what, what I did there. You mean the slurping it? Or? The slurping, and I didn't let it breathe at all. I didn't swirl. I didn't stick my right. olfactory senses in there. You know, our audience is probably getting impatient that we're not getting to the home winemaking part of the show, but um, Riedel glasses, while we're at it, you know, these are expensive glasses, probably cost like, what, 15 or $20 each or $25 each. I know there's even more expensive ones. Do you think they actually make a difference to drinking wine? What's your opinion? Because we got red plastic cups over there that are a lot easier to wash. I do. And, you know, sometimes you see these uh, red wine glasses particularly look like fish bowls. Why do you think that is, Engineer Man? <laughs> I don't know. They're huge, um, though. They, they I mean, are huge. You, I mean, and, they, and then you think you're getting ripped at the restaurant because they only pour up about a fifth or a fourth of the way. But there's got to be a purpose to that, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think... They started with tennis rackets, made those oversized. Then they got the oversized golf clubs. Ah. And they must have said, well, we're done with golf and tennis. Let's do wine. I don't know. I've never had wine out of like those, the things that look like fish bowls. I mean, how would you even? Well, I can say I've had one of the finest bottles of wines of wine that's made, Opus One from California. You've, you're probably familiar with that. Yeah, that's the partnership between... Uh, uh, Rothschild, Rothschild, and the other and, guy, and the other the guy, other guy, right? <laughs> the non-engineering guy, right? Mondavi, uh, Mondavi right? Mondavi. Okay, there you go. Fabulous wine. I drank it out of plastic cups, and was it good or not? Horrible. Really? It was horrible. We didn't let it breathe. I don't know. I'm I'm not totally sold. I mean, these are really cool, and maybe they do add to the sort of the whole ambiance of the experience. Um, but I'm not totally sold on the idea that you got to spend $25 on a wine glass to. I'm not either. Them. I think the size and shape's important, but I don't think you need 25 dead presidents for a good glass. No, unless of course Riedel would like to sponsor our next podcast, in which case these We're available. make all the difference. Exactly. All right, a little bit about the uh, environment. We're sitting down in our uh, our wine cellar here, which is in uh, my basement, and. Um, that's not as big as an advantage, as big an advantage as you'd think, because being in my basement means that I end up doing more of the work, right? I mean, if something needs to be done, one of us has <laughs> to be the visionary oh, and passionate. Yes, exactly. About the phone calls and finding out if you've completed your work or not. Exactly. There. And the other guy is back at his house, and so uh, here I am uh, racking the wine by myself on a Sunday morning. Uh, but anyway, we're down in the uh, wine cellar. We have here. Um, we've got about a thousand bottles in production, which, by the way, we're we're coming to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and it's legal to uh, homebrew, I think, 200 gallons, right? Approximately 800 bottles. Uh, I'd say that's a thousand bottles. Per person. Oh, yeah, per person. Yeah, per person. I thought it was, I thought it was, it's probably a gallon amount, whatever that translates to, um, 750 milliliters. Right. I'd say. So so you'd want, if anyone in other states should thoroughly investigate. Their limits. Their limits. Right. Pennsylvania's probably, it has to be one of the tougher ones, though. I'm sure that's true. Our liquor laws here are so screwed up. 
if you are flaunting the limits, just don't do a podcast where you <laughs> admit how much you're producing, right? Or drink quickly if uh, there's a knock on the door. <laughs> exactly. Hang on a second. Got a really big straw into my barrel. So we have three wine barrels down here. These are oak, and we'll talk about you know, all this stuff in, in later shows. But it's sort of cool being uh, uh, surrounded by wine barrels. And then we've got another, what do we have over there? We've got uh, almost a dozen, a dozen carboys. Those are, it's a fancy, are name, for a fancy name for a five-gallon piece of glass. Uh, so big bottles. Big bottles, really big bottles uh, that... Uh, are easy to fill and empty. With funny doohickeys sticking out of everything. Yeah, exactly. Those are airlocks. Okay, well, why don't we... Uh, so that's the environment. Uh, we also have a nice candle burning. It's a Cabernet candle, which is sort of nicely scenting up the place. Uh, that was a gift um, from your wife, by the way. The other guy's wife gave me that uh, for no particular reason. You want to speculate on, <laughs> on the reason? I'm trying to think of what she got me. <laughs> I don't think she got you anything. Matches. Ah, (laughs) but no candle and you didn't even bring the matches once again I was stuck doing the work lighting my own candle that's why the other guy's here alright so uh, why don't we go through the the 14 step program here of making uh, red wine and we'll just do a quick overview of each of these steps and then in other shows we'll get into the details of you know why what happens in each step and uh, you know all, all of the many things we've learned in our should we admit we've only been making wine for three years? Three or years, we? sure. Okay. So sure. Some award-winning yeah, wine, by the way. That's locally. true. We, um, In fact, we should build a little bit more uh, credibility, don't you think? Uh, we, we've got a silver medal for uh, last year's Cabernet. but Which more, at the time of testing or, no, was or brand competition new. was, what, three months exactly. old? Exactly. So, you know, it's it's going to age nicely, I'm sure. Uh, actually, what's, what's pleased me more about our... Um, our winemaking as we've shared the bottles with our friends is the ultimate compliment really is this doesn't taste like a homemade wine and some people have even said uh, you know this this bottle of wine I would be happy I remember one of my friends called me one day and said I'd be happy if I'd paid I forget what he said 25 or 40 dollars some you know pretty large right. amount for a bottle of wine if I would paid for that in the uh, in the liquor store and so I, I think we we do have a um, uh, an impressive formula here that's working. And uh, again, we'll talk about why as we get into it, but uh, clearly we've been able to produce something which is a delight to drink. It really is. It really is, Dave. And you know, I've had a number of folks, in- including patients of mine, bring homemade wine to me. And maybe a lot of the folks listening have had homemade wine. It sort of has that typical pink look and. Um, sort of cloudy appearance and sort of sour or overly sweet taste, not like any bottle of wine that you'd purchase. Mm-hmm. And the I agree with you, the comments, I've the feedback I've had is, first of all, it looks like wine, smells like wine, and most of all, tastes like wine. Tastes like wine. So that's what we're about. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, hopefully we can uh, convey some of how we've done that to uh, to people in these podcasts. The 14 steps, step number one, is um, locating the equipment. You don't need to actually buy a whole lot of stuff. In that first year, I don't think we bought a whole lot of stuff to make our wine. But you do have to find a um, reasonable outlet to uh, you know at least rent some of the equipment. And, and there are places around that will rent 
uh, winemaking equipment. Probably the, um, you know, the, the basic thing is what's called the crusher destemmer. And maybe we should caveat all this. We actually make wine from the grapes, although you can make wine from kits where they sell right. you the juice, right? right. We're actually going to take you through the process where it's starting with the grapes. Starting which, with the berry. Yeah, I think actually that that's what real winemaking is about. I love the part where you get all those you know, those grapes and just how fantastic they are. I always feel like I'm communi- communing with uh, you know nature or something when uh, I'm handling those those fresh grapes. Well, and it really only adds what what do you think, Dave? One step to the process. Uh, compared to buying the juice? Yeah, or maybe maybe two because um, you've got to crush grapes and then you also have to press grapes. So let's say two. But it's not, I mean, out of 14 steps, you don't save a whole lot by getting the juice. And it's just a lot more fun to be working from the grapes. So when you buy the juice, there aren't skins, skins in it. Yeah, well, that's my understanding, that you're really getting just juice. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. We haven't made... Uh, We've only done it like the big the, boys. Like the, uh, well, the old-fashioned way. So you got to find a source for the equipment. And, uh, you know, I guess the basic things you need, if you're going to go from the grapes, you need a, a crusher destemmer. Uh, you need a fermentation vat of some sort. And here you are going to need something, again, it depends on the quantity that you're producing, but you're going to need something that is... Um, ideally a food-grade plastic. And one of the things we learned about that, you look for the plastics. Actually, you can go on Google and type in food-grade plastic and learn about the six major kinds, but the, the one that seems to be predominant for making, I guess, things that are formed that could hold wine is what's called HDPE, high-density polyethylene. So uh, that's what we, we worked with. And uh, you can... You can use um, garbage cans, Actually, frankly. A, a garbage can of that type of material. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so not a lot of money. No, no. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. By the way, can you um, tell me, with respect to uh, using garbage cans, you know, one of the pieces of advice is use um, as light a color as you can buy. A tan garbage can, um, again, out of this HDPE, uh, because you won't, Risk having dyes uh, leak into bleed from the plastic. Bleed from the plastic. The so one piece of advice with respect to a garbage can is go with uh, you know a light color, and and you can find those at Home Depot or wherever. Right. Uh, and turn any of these garbage cans over, and you'll see the stamp that says the kind of plastic. Look for HDPE. How about uh, new garbage cans <laughs> versus used garbage cans? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, what's the other guy? What's your? You know, I, I just want to go on record that I have only had like two sips of wine so far. Okay. So how about <laughs> new garbage cans versus used? Well, there's probably a substantial savings in the used garbage can. I bet there is. <laughs> but, but. You may contaminate your <laughs> your wine. Your wine, a All tad. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So uh, let's let's go with the, the let's agree. Twinkie new, wrapper, new garbage cans is the way to go. I wouldn't even take like a 
plastic bag or something, a new plastic bag to line an old garbage can. Just start fresh. Spend <laughs> spend the eight ninety nine to get yourself a nice clean garbage can. Okay, so that's going to be your fermentation vat. By the way, we're still on step one, but we're going to try to give you a, a good overview of this whole process. It is a heck of a lot of fun. The uh, other things that you might want would be um, either an oak barrel, which is relatively expensive, or a carboy, these glass, uh, you know, five-gallon glass jars. So that's uh, where... Yeah, I, I'd recommend, if starting out, to go with... Go the, with the glass, uh, the right? Glass, right. Yeah, pretty easy. And we'll talk about how... Oak is very important in making wine. We'll talk about, you know, if you're using glass carboys, how do you how do you get the oak? Uh, maybe a thermometer, uh, maybe a hydrometer, which is one of those things you had back in high school chemistry class that you put in the... What do you put it in? You put it in the liquid and see how far it floats, and you can measure the uh, density of something. And then... Uh, What's that used for uh, in the winemaking process? Uh, to measure the sugar content, which you don't have to do, frankly. Um, we'll talk about the steps as we get in here, but it's a nice piece of equipment to have. It's good to know your sugar content if for no other reason um, you know in the end how much alcohol you end up with, which is important, uh, yes. right? Do you, yeah. do you have a wine that's 11% or 14% right. or somewhere in between? You also know from the... Uh, hydrometer when the wine is finished fermenting, when the sugar is gone. You can tell when the sugar is gone. And uh, really, even a small amount of sugar remaining in wine can cause big problems. It can cause problems either either with it tastes bad because it's sort of sweeter than it should be. I mean, nothing's worse than a sweet Cabernet. Uh, or uh, you bottle the wine with a little bit of sugar in it, and just like beer, you end up with to ferment. yeah something that has um, carbon dioxide in it. It's bubbly. So which, that that's that's probably a pretty good thing to get for your startup kit here. Then yeah, I think those are the uh, the starting things. We uh, being in Pittsburgh, by the way, just a side tangent. The Steelers won the Super Bowl this here we go. this month. Here we go, Steelers. How about a quick toast to the Steelers Nation? Because I know there are Steelers fans all over the country and indeed the world. One for the thumb. All right. We're here in Pittsburgh, and in Pittsburgh there's a place down on Babcock Boulevard called Country Wines, and you can get all of this stuff uh, right from Country Wines, including the hardest thing, which is the Crusher Destemmer, the hardest thing to find. You can rent there for $25 a day. That would otherwise be a pretty expensive piece of equipment, five hundred to a thousand dollars. You know, you probably want to rent that instead of buy it. So, use the internet to find a wine equipment supply store. Uh, usually, it's paired with a brewing supply store. So, people who are in one half of the business are in the other half. That's how we got all our equipment to get started. Knowledgeable folks down there too. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They, man, they've answered a lot of questions. Of course, later. We'll add a dial-in number to our podcast, and you can call us, and we'll give you answers, which may or may not be <laughs> accurate. Um, we shall garbage can, new garbage can. <laughs> exactly. I think we got that one pretty much nailed. <laughs> Other guy. All right, so uh, that's step one. You can get your equipment together, um, you know, whenever, over the summer, because the grapes are going to come in in, you know, September to maybe October time frame. That's when grapes... Uh, ripen. So get your equipment ahead of time. Get all set up. Get a nice place down in your garage or basement. I like the basement more because you can control the temperature. Yeah, garage might get too hot or too cold. Next step two is uh, finding grapes. Why not just go to the uh, 
the grocery store the, and buy how about grapes. The, the green seedless grapes. The kids love. Yeah, those. exactly. Or you know, that make good white wine, right? Or even the red red seedless, seedless grapes. grapes. Exactly. Now you're talking. Yeah. With the, the little package with the cellophane over it, crush those babies up. That sounds like a good idea to me. Is that going to work? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. You're the expert, right? You went to the wine school. <laughs> you did tell me that. That's the reason we're partnered. No, I said I wind all through school. <laughs> oh, you wind through school. Okay. By the way, I noticed you're wearing a Princeton shirt tonight. You didn't go to Princeton, did you? No, nope, no, nope, just picked it up. Twenty bucks. Yeah, I see. Nice status symbol. So is that what you're talking about with by purchasing grapes at the grocery store? Is it that simple, Dave? <laughs> it's not that simple. Other guy it's, doesn't think so. No, it's not that simple, other guy. And uh, I'll tell you, there's there's probably a bunch of reasons. One really obvious reason is that uh, you need sugar in the grapes to make alcohol. And believe it or not, the grapes you buy at the grocery store have a lot less sugar than wine grapes. I was amazed when we first tasted our wine grapes. Yeah, how sweet they were. Unbelievable. It was amazing. And then we measured the sugar content. And the sugar content in wine grapes is typically going to be in the 24 to 26% range. of you know I don't know if that's by weight or volume or whatever, but 26% of that baby is sugar. Whereas if you go to the grocery store and buy those grapes... It's a lot lower. It might be 15 or 16 percent sugar. So, uh, if you produce wine out of grocery store grapes, you're not going to get anything close to the level of alcohol that you're hoping for in your wine. I think a much bigger problem, though, is uh, we found from the wine grapes. Now, we've made wine out of Cabernet, Syrah, Zinfandel, and Merlot to this point, right? And we've seen a lot of other wine grapes beyond that as we've been dealing with our local supplier. These grapes are the size of blueberries, which means a lot you're smaller yeah, a lot you're, smaller you're than the ones you buy at the store. So uh, you're getting a lot of skin area, and um, you know therefore a lot of color and all those other fantastic things that come out of the skin from these small wine grapes that you just wouldn't get from grocery store grapes. Right. So if, if we sum up everything that uh, I think we've learned about grapes. There's a saying that you cannot make good wine out of bad grapes. And in general, it seems to be that the rule of thumb is about 90% of your finished product is going to be based on the grape, not what you did crushing and fermenting and oaking and all that kind of stuff. So you really want to um, start with the good stuff. Start with the good stuff. You want to end up with the good stuff. All right, so that's step two. Find good grapes. We've got a guy over in Cleveland. We actually drive... Carl. Carl the Grape Man. We drive from Pittsburgh to Cleveland, which is about 105 miles. So you're talking a four-hour, five-hour round-trip investment. Uh, But that's how much we believe in going to get good grapes. He's importing them from California. And so we're actually getting our grapes from Napa, Sonoma, and li- literally a phone call, the grapes are here, the truck's coming, let's go get them. Exactly. Can't wait. Paso Robles, we got uh, our Syrah from this year. Alexander Valley, we got our uh, Cabernet from this year. And, uh, you know, so Carl's our connection. Uh, again, this is one of those things you can research ahead of time. Find out who in your area is a supplier of good grapes, which pretty much 
If, they, do you, if folks listening have like a strip district, people need to know what the strip district is in Pittsburgh. Because you can buy grapes through there, too. Yeah. And since this is a G-rated show, I'm going to let you explain what the strip district is, other guy. Bring lots of ones. <laughs> Excuse me. I just learned that a ground crew glass wine is not so good when passed through your nose. I think that's why they're so big. <laughs> What's so big? <laughs> I thought we were talking it about brings, the grapes were small. <laughs> it brings a whole new meaning to Paso Robles. Well... Did you, what did you I'm ask sorry, me? but what's so big? <laughs> you said something was so big. The, 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 oh, the, the glass the Bordeaux, is so big. Bordeaux glasses are very large. And the grapes are very small. <laughs> Go figure. Therein might be a theme. Okay. Well, we'll did see. you ask me something? Um, I totally... Fr- oh, yes. The strip uh, district. What is the strip district the for strip people district, who don't live in Pittsburgh? The strip district is a wonderful area of Pittsburgh with a lot of history, but basically... It is the area where almost, if not all, the produce comes into the Pittsburgh area, and including grapes. Now, to buy the, to purchase the grapes that are appropriate for wine, you're probably going to need to go down and talk to Luigi and talk to, get to know the locals down there and find out if you can find your own Carl in your area. Now, we, we have not purchased our grapes from the Strip District, though, have we? We we've, haven't, we've although gone, I've... We've gone to Cleveland. I've heard that you can get California grapes in I the strip to. district. Yeah. So, you know, presumably there are there is a connection down there that will do that for you. And by the way, there are probably good grapes from other places too. Um, you know, especially like Washington or Oregon uh or New York. Right? Sure. And and in fact there's a lot of wineries in Pennsylvania. But the the classics what do they call them, the vinifera reds or whatever, the the kind of wines that we're making, Cabernet and Syrah and, and Zinfandel, they just won't grow in Pennsylvania. I think there's too much rain here. It's The soil's too acidic, too whatever. Too acidic, right. It just seems like California grapes are relatively easy to get in most places of the country. You can probably find a way to get your hands on them, and they're going to be good, especially if you go for something that came from Paso Robles or Sonoma, Napa. Right. If you're going to do it, do it well. Put the research into getting the grapes. Right. I I totally agree with you. So now we come to step three, which is actually the most infamous step that that we ever took. It's the crushing and destemming of the grapes. And again, they make a, a machine to do this, right? But the other guy and I didn't really... We saved wanna, five bucks the first year. We <laughs> exactly. Made wine. And it cost us immensely. So, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, crushing and destemming? The, uh, the crusher destemmer is about breaking the skin of the berry, of the grape, without crushing the seed. Because if you crush the seed, Yuck. you're going to put a lot of you know, bitterness Yuck. and astringency into your wine. So, the, the crusher destemmer, or even just a plain crusher, is about breaking those skins, as you know, all of the skins without crushing the seeds. But it's also about removing the stems, because the stems themselves, if you don't get about 90% of them out of the, um, what do they call it, when you get all the juice and everything mixed together, the must? Must. Must. I don't know why they it, call it must, except you must, must have it. Uh, must be it. Must be it in order to have wine. 
you got to get 90% of those stems out of there. And uh, why don't you just relate the story of our first year's misadventure when we rented only the crusher and thereby saved $5 we didn't spend for the destemmer. Two devices, one a crusher, one a crusher destemmer. $5 more for the latter. We highly recommend. Our first year, we rented only the crusher. And of course, all of the broken berries and skin and pulp and all of the stems are all in the same fermentation vat. And you have to get those stems out of there, as Dave mentioned, for taste purposes. And so we had to pull each stem out by hand, which probably added five or six hours to the process. <laughs> we were we were up until like 4 a.m. that morning. 4 in the morning, pulling stems well yeah it was not just pulling the stems out but the the crushed berries are still attached to the stem so you had to kind of scraping them yeah off exactly peel them off one at a time so there's a lovely device it's I probably think it's, developed by an engineer uh, there you go and i think it's not one a of the, dentist i think it's one of the best devices invented by man frankly that thing is like magic it's like sliced bread it it's very simple looking and yet it works probably to a 90 percent 95 percent efficiency it's amazing the the grapes and stems go in and then the grapes fall sort of straight out the bottom into your vat and all the stems slowly march down this, what, about three-foot-long tube, and they fall out the end into... About a three-foot-long auger, and the stems drop into a bucket at that end of the machine. It's amazing. And you know what, what really struck me about the, the destemming process is that those stems came out, there wasn't like one, one single berry. berry on those things. I mean, they were stripped clean. And yeah, we got 5 or 10% stems that did go into the must, but that's okay. In fact, maybe not even a bad idea that adds a little bit of tannins and, you know. I'd like to see a commercial crushing, destemming. What am I thingy. Looking for? Thingy. <laughs> thingy. The technical term. The th Engineers are good at uh, <laughs> crushing, destemming part of their winemaking. Doohickey? Doohickey. Doohickey. Just, just, I'd like to see their fermentation vat after crushing, destemming to see. To get oh, an idea how well how they many stems are actually in something like the bottle of wine we've opened tonight here, Chateau Pierre Lucien. By the way, I want to do a little interesting experiment here for a second. I, while I was looking for that bottle, I found a bottle of 2002 Merlot uh, Alape, I think. It's Paso Robles. That's right, where our right. grapes come from. And I opened this, <laughs> I don't even remember how long, two, three weeks ago. And so this bottle's just been sitting around. I didn't do anything special to it, but I brought down two small glasses here. And, uh, of course, we've been drinking the nice stuff, but let's uh, try a little taste of this. Thank you for putting your microphone there. I hope that could be heard. But if not, that was the sound of pouring. We'll have to add that after the fact in post-production. Um, I'm wondering if this wine that's been open probably three, four weeks taste any good or has it turned to vinegar i don't know it smells sort of port like doesn't it that's one word i don't think it's normal anymore i mean it's not horrible it's not it's not off off is that the word off it's not awful but it does have a sort of oxidized sort of biology takes place there dave yeah lots I think so. of biology i think a lot of biology because we let even though you had the cork oxygen in the right well 
we should say that the bottle was three quarters empty already, right? right? right. And so, so a there's a lot of, of oxygen there. and who knows what in there. Lots of biology. Right. But, you know, I, okay, so don't leave a bottle open. I, I mean, who's going to, if I hadn't lost this thing, it would have been gone the next night. But I misplaced it. Apparently, I drank three quarters of the bottle by myself, forgot where I left it. And uh, anyway, uh, I think you can typically leave a bottle at least a couple days, a I've, few days. I've gone, and I've gone two days with some. But, you know, wines are living, breathing things. Some are going to crash after a couple of hours and not taste, will probably taste like what we're drinking now. Others can hold up for a couple of days. That's what makes wine making and drinking wine one of my passions. There, I've said it, Dave. It's out. <laughs> it's out. The other guy has confessed. The other guy's out of the closet. He has a passion for wine. All right, so we were step, on where, step where, three. Where are we? Step, step uh, three. Step three was crush and destem the grapes. We made the mistake the first year. We had to hand Spend the extra five bucks. Well worth it. Although to jump ahead, you know, towards the end of the process, you get to bottle your wine and put your labels on it. And we put the story on the back of the bottle. And we have this grand story about hand du stem. Very rare. Very rare. Very uh, rare. A, and only a in long, France. forgotten French process. And only in France after they lost a world war. There you go. They had lots of hands, I guess, to, lots of hands to do hand, uh, to do stem. hand du stem. Uh, we, we have in our, um, our Zinfandel from 2002 a very rare and exclusive product. So, you know, if you make some mistake like we did, play, <laughs> what are those signs? Oh, 2003, the other guy. The numbers guy got it wrong. (laughs) All right, thank you for correcting me, other guy. Our 2003 Zinfandel. Right. uh, Now I've totally lost my point on it. We hand stems. And and we've played that that up, right? You you go with what you got, you market it. Included uh, that as part of the old process. It's become a great story and great lore. And, in fact, I think it's probably fair to say that People who drink that Zinfandel have never consumed a hand stem wine before in their life, right? So, Unless they purchased a post-World War French wine. <laughs> there, okay. <laughs> right. But, you know. Yeah, more hands! <laughs> Just, uh, hey, you know, while we're on, um, I guess, body parts, I've been <laughs> at- <laughs> Hands are body what? parts. <laughs> What body part are you on? Uh, well, I was on hands. I was going to move to feet. Yes. I've been asked by almost everybody that yeah. I've told that we, you know, crush grapes about the I Love Lucy episode and do you get in the vat and stomp on them? Why, why don't we do that? I've seen your feet. <laughs> <laughs> They're wide. My feet are wide. They'd be very efficient <laughs> at crushing grapes. By the way, for I the think listeners... It, I think it gets back to the um, new used garbage can idea. Yeah? What is that? <laughs> oh, are you accusing my feet of not being <laughs> as clean as a new garbage can? <laughs> I think the other guy's dissing me again. Um, but that is how they did it in the old days. But I think rent, so. Rent the crusher to stemmer. Well yeah. And um, I think what you might say about if, if they really did stomp grapes in the old days... I mean, sometimes that was for show. At least later on, it was for show. Right. And at best, you're adding a lot of risk to your wine that 
who knows what you'll get because you don't know what kind of yeasts or you know other microbiology uh, you're picking up unless you do this in a you know fairly sterile environment. We'll have to in a future show talk about you know the whole process of you know cleanliness keeping and the area clean. Right. Exactly. That is that is critical. Key. Critical. Well, in fact, that that's a perfect segue to step four, which is where you have to uh, add sulfur dioxide and kill off any stray stray yeast. You know, once you've got all your, you've got your big vat now. Wait a minute, you mentioned the sulfur dioxide. I've seen on wine labels, in fact, almost every wine label, sulfites contain sulfites. Is that where that's coming that's from? That's where that's coming from. Okay. And, and frankly, as I understand it, even <laughs> if you didn't add sulfur dioxide, just as a natural process in the fermentation and whatever, you end up with a certain amount of sulfites. And in the U.S., the government requires you to label something as contained sulfites if you've got more than um, 10 parts per million. And so almost all wines, even if they're not adding sulfites. So wait a minute. You're telling me now, and I was just in the wine store the other day and saw the organic wine section. Now, according to you, what you've told me, there's still going to be a certain level of sulfites even in a, an organic wine section. Is many, that right? many organic wines still exceed that still? 10 part per million and are labeled as contained sulfite. Not all. Not Do all. they have to list as such according to government regulations? Yeah, even if they're organic, if they're over 10 parts per million, and, and you remember we can measure directly off our wine the parts per million. We'll talk about that process uh, at some point. Um, but... Uh, even many organic wines that don't add sulfites still exceed, or don't add sulfur dioxide, still exceed 10 parts per million and are labeled as such. But not all. So if you have a sulfite sensitivity, be extra. don't just take organic wine as an automatic that you're home free. Look for an organic wine that does not label itself as containing sulfites, which meant that they're below that 10 parts per million. Now, they might be at 9 or 8, you're probably never going to be at zero. Gotcha. So uh, there are actually, this is one of those things I just don't understand about um, winemaking. There are two types of, of ways to add sulfur dioxide to wine. One is with potassium metabisulfite, as it's called, and the other one is with sodium metabisulfite. Again, this is something you buy from a wine supply store, and it comes in powder form. You mix it in with water, produce a 10% solution. We'll get into the details. The number of, guy. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm always an engineer, right? It's good to hook up with a number guy. Find a good partner. Well, and it's good to have a, you know, somebody who's passionate and, you know, brings all that. Uh, what What's the word in French for zest for life? La fumée. <laughs> you lie. <laughs> See, I have a little lie detector built right in here. And I believe you said something like head cheese. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, that's what it is. Head cheese. Head cheese. That's cheese. I'm I'm not remembering the term. It's not uh, c'est la vie or je ne sais quoi. There's a term for zest for life. I'm sure some of our listeners, they've got it right now. Send us an email. That's what it is. Okay. (laughs) Never mind. We got it. Vive la, vive la. France. France. So that's what they say after they lose a world war. <laughs> Viva la France! Right. <laughs> so there's these two kinds of sulfur dioxide. <laughs> They've lost a few I'm world wars. A over ball. There. <laughs> I am, I'm an, I'm an is this ball. fun or this what? Is a, this exactly. Is a yep. 
Uh, we probably got. Uh, Do we have ten minutes yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was gonna say we probably got millions of listeners out there, or at least a dozen, who are riding along with us. Or maybe this thing never sees the light of day. Although, if you are listening to this on your Apple iPod, um, I guess we uh, we didn't reject it totally out of hand. So there's these two kinds of uh, sulfur dioxide, potassium or sodium metabisulfite. And the problem with sodium, well, the advantage of sodium metabisulfite is it's about 10 cents cheaper than potassium metabisulfite. Remember this? We walked in the wine store and, you know, there's one, it's like, Two dollars and sixty cents. The sodium is two dollars and fifty cents, but sodium metabisulfite. I mean, sodium. That's part of salt. So you're adding. If you use sodium metabisulfite, you're adding salt to your wine. So go figure. I don't know why anyone would use. You know, would save ten cents, and you know, have salty wine. Not that it's like real salty, but you're you're moving in that direction. And even just slight flavors in wine can be picked up. Is it the same guys using the used garbage cans who are using the sodium metabisulfite? They're and, saving. And doing the hand stemming. <laughs> I see. See, I think the hand stemming is uh, prestige. If you need the 10 cents, send us a self-addressed stamped envelope. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll mail, mail you a dime. <laughs> okay. Thank you, other guy. I'll have to get out my Excel spreadsheet to check it out. <laughs> Okay, so... Nope, here, here's a quarter. Forget about it. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, we are... You know, I'm really impressed. I've made it through this whole podcast without saying your name but one time, which happened earlier, and we beeped it out. So, um, that's pretty good. Although, you know, we haven't finished this bottle of wine yet, so maybe you better top us up there, other guy. Or top us off. Yeah. <laughs> top us off? Top us up? Top us up? Top that's, us up? Is that's that, what they that, say. That's what, what they say what in Europe. In fr- what is that in fr- French? <laughs> I don't know what it is in France or French, but I do know <laughs> when I go to France and I have my cell phone and I need to, you know, I have a, I don't have the, uh, you know, just use it and get billed at the end of the month. I have to prepay when I'm traveling. They call it topping up. Ah. Oh. Right? And like if you go to Hence a gas the station. faux pas. Exactly. <laughs> Is it a faux pas? Oh my gosh, we'll have to edit it out then. Okay. It it apparent whatever we're talking about at this point never happened. The the listeners have not heard it. But even at the gas stations or what they call it the petrol stations, they go in and they top up their car. So top up. Top up. Yeah, so you top up your cell phone, you top up your gas tank or your petrol tank. They don't top off over there. They top they pop up. up. They top up. You know, our our international do they audience put the top down? will verify it. I don't know. But if they do put it down, it goes in the boot. That's what they call the trunk. It's the boot. That's true. Right? I've been See? given the boot. <laughs> you have been given the boot a lot of times. I can personally attest to that. Okay, After so. topping off. <laughs> topping up. Uh, you know, I was trying to add some international flair to the show, and the other guy is bringing us down. Okay, so just a quick review. Get your equipment. Find some. Which we'll, we're going to. We're going to get we're into elaborate detail. on, right, exactly. on, on we'll, equipment and materials in, in future a future shows. podcast. So uh, get your equipment. Find your grapes. Crush and destem them. Hopefully not by hand. And then kill off your stray yeast with a sulfur dioxide, preferably a potassium metabisulfite. Save the dime. Ten percent solution. And by the way, at this step. 
And just to save a little bit of time, we'll make it quick. You adjust the acidity and the sugar content of your grapes, if need be. Now, hopefully you got grapes that had the right acidity and sugar. Uh, we'll get into the details we'll of it. We'll get into one that's not quite right. Yeah, well, Correct? we, yeah, I, I, let, let me just admit right up front, because I'm sure the other guy would bring it up if I didn't. Uh, we have had to adjust our acidity, and one time I put in too much acid, too much tartaric acid. And then you have very acidic wine, and you have to do something called, what was it called, cold? Um, Crystallization? Well, yeah. It's That's what happens. Crystal- yeah, it, it crystallizes out. We had to put our wine outside and basically freeze this stuff. There's a way to compensate for these mistakes. Ah, we'll cover that. We'll have a whole show on mistakes. Uh, a whole show on mistakes about acidity. <laughs> I'm sure you talk all day about my mistakes with acidity. That's step four. Now you've got a juice with berries, skins, and you know a lot of juice. And the by must. the way, the must. the must, exactly. In the beginning, the must, the juice is clear. Even from red grapes, this, is, this amazes me, but you know, even from red grapes, like beautiful Cabernet grapes, Cabernet Sauvignon, you get clear juice at first. Clear, clear and incredibly sweet. Yes, the, the juice, in fact, one of the fun things about making it right from the get-go is tasting the grape juice when it's pure juice and, and no alcohol. And then tasting, tasting the steps along the way. Every day along the way, right? So it, I it ended is up with one bottle out of <laughs> One bottle, process. exactly. Because it's in my basement. It is, uh, what the heck were we talking about? Oh, we were talking about the clear juice. You get clear juice. Right, exactly. So when you first crush, you have clear juice. And you could, in theory, make either a white wine like a Sauvignon Blanc or a red wine like a Cabernet Sauvignon. True or false? White wine is made from white grapes or red grapes? Uh, it could be both. Either. Either. Right? C'est la vie. C'est la vie. It, we could, be, it could be either, either, and this is why. You have to go through a special process to get red wine. So we're just finishing step four. We now have a big batch of juice. It's mostly clear, but it's full of red grape skins. And we've... Uh, put in sulfur dioxide, killed off any stray yeast because we don't that's want the why you bad... Put the, that's why you put that in there. Yeah, you don't want the bad yeast. Remember, what one ha- what kind happens of with yeast the, right, what happens? makes vinegar. Ah. Yeah, right? And we've spent way too much money... Hence the typical wine, on homemade these wine you get. Exactly. Okay. So if you don't go through that step four where you put in the potassium, preferably potassium metabisulfite, you could end up with vinegar or various off tastes created by whatever stray yeast you have. Okay, so now we've got this nice big vat of must, and we need to add yeast. In the new garbage can, by the way. Right, in the new garbage can. Or, in our case, we have some big white... uh, We bought these big white tanks. They're basically like 55-gallon drums in size that I think came from a, a winery, and they were selling them off used through our... Local. 25 bucks a piece, wasn't it? Something like yeah, that. So you don't have to spend lots and lots and lots of lot. money for this. Right. Now, so those cost more than a garbage can, mm-hmm. but, you know, they're also much more substantial and a little bit bigger and more functional. So at this point, we're actually adding yeast, adding yeast. back. Right. right. We want to kill off the, the bad yeast. The bad yeast. Right. And add the good the, yeast. The good yeast. Now, not everybody does this. Not even every winery does this. Some, some wineries... And some people just say, 
what would you say? Quesera, sera before? Let, let it. Let the natural. Let it be. Yeast that's probably adhering to the skin. Is that the idea? Yeah, or floating around in the air and just landing in, in that there. area around the around the vines and could be wherever. It's a big risk, though. That's where However, I'm coming from. However, some of the big boys that make some wonderful wines may still make their wine that way. They do. But it's just one more variable right. on things that could go wrong. And if you want to do your you know, best possible job of getting a predictable product, a good product, you've invested a lot in the grapes. It's one of your most expensive items. Although, you know, by the way, grapes are only a dollar a pound. Wine grapes, good wine grapes. What was the most we paid for? I think for we paid a dollar twenty for some super premium super grapes. Super premium one stuff. And that's shipping it. That's, that's paying all, to ship that's it. Everything. Right? All that's the way here from California. That's so. our bottom line cost. So put the money 20. into the grapes. Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't sell. Don't, we'll don't. send you the 15 cents. 25 cents if we need to. Get good grapes. Get good grapes. And then kill off any bad yeasts. Right. And put in a yeast of your choosing. And, and by the way, there are dozens and dozens of uh, yeasts that you can buy. Should, should specific, we mention? To, specific to making wine. Though. Yes, good, exactly. Good yeast you can right. Buy. Don't. Go down to Walmart and buy yeast for the bread machine or your favorite grocery store and buy those little packets of yeast. That's remember, the, remember the wine muffins? <laughs> no, I don't remember the wine muffins. They must have been so good, I've totally forgotten them. Uh, yes, please tell, tell me about the wine muffins. Used the wrong yeast. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh. Okay, I'm just a little slow, but I'm with you now. We... <laughs> Use the wine yeast for making muffins. Okay, I got it. No, we used the muffin yeast for making, for making wine. wine. That's how we got the wine muffins. I thought it was the wine yeast oh, in thank our God muffin. the other guys oh, here. Oh man, you gotta you gotta keep us straight. Really I peek was over it the wrong way. The wine muffins. <laughs> What, what is the name of that yeast, by the way? The, the stu- Fleischmann's. Fleischmann's. Don't, <laughs> yes, do not buy Fleischmann's. Right. Yeah. right. The uh, the kind of wine yeast that you get will have different names like... Uh, DB477-P. Exactly. One or of my there's, favorites. There's a whole, uh, like, Lalvin. Isn't that the name of it, Lalvin? We have both subscribed to um, a great resource called Winemaker Magazine. And if you want to learn about... Yeast. Actually, maybe don't even subscribe. Just go to www.winemakermag, M-A-G, that is, dot com. And they've got all sorts of resources there where you can learn this stuff. Or go to Good any. any I, I really like that magazine. They, they have, you know what's cool about it is they have, like, if this went wrong, what do you do? And so a lot of how do you get back on, on the glide path kind of advice. The or, wine Or on track. Right. If you happen to be a train guy, I'm I'm more of a plane guy, so I'm on the glide path. Are you with me? Are you with me? <laughs> Apparently not. I think the other guy is not with me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> couldn't think of anything I need to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then uh, silence where is were gold. We? Uh, yeah, where right. were we? We're talking yeasts. You can learn about yeast from, you know, winemaker or put in 
uh, you know, wine yeast to Google or your favorite search engine, you'll learn a ton. The most interesting thing that, that I learned about yeast through this whole process is that different yeasts bring out different flavors in wine. So if you're making a Cabernet, look for a yeast that is optimized around around Cabernet. I think that's, you know, we'll get into, th this is a very long topic, we'll get into it in much more depth in a future show, but, um, you know, pick a yeast that's suited to the grape. Do they breed yeast? I'm guessing like they do. Like dogs I mean, or cats? Or can you do that? <laughs> I think they do. Can, can you, like, get a stud yeast? A stud yeast? You know, and I a think... Sow what, do we, what do you call the... I actually think yeast may reproduce asexually. Is that possible? I don't think there are male and female yeasts. I know the French do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Obviously, we're not going to get any French sponsors for the show. <laughs> Unless you tone it down a little bit. You want to say the name of our French wine again? I think, they, I, think I hear the phone ringing now from <laughs> Chateau <laughs> Lichon. Yes, I, I doubt it. Okay, so uh, let's uh, we'll research whether there are male and female yeasts, but I'm pretty sure they're not. The one thing I will say, really, yes, I think yeast so reproduces yeast sort of asexually, mesmerizes itself. There, it's like cloning; it just keeps dividing. Every yeast is like every other yeast, and then uh, you know, not to gross anybody out, but yeast eat sugar, right, and they produce as waste products, carbon dioxide, which is why you're going to get a lot of bubbles off of this, right. and alcohol. And alcohol. We're drinking, you know. You know, I have to interrupt. I have to just say, thank God for yeast. This whole shooting match would be down the tubes without yeast. Those little microorganisms that help make hooch. All right, well, let's have a quick toast to yeast then. A revelation there. There you go. So any, the point is, there are... A number of yeasts to choose from, and some are quite specific to the type of wine and grape that you're going to be using to make wine, correct? Right. right. And bring out different aspects of the wine. So exactly. We, we, we could probably do a whole show on yeast. We will, because we've used different yeasts on the same grapes and then can taste A to B and compare. Right. So we're on step five, you add the yeast. And then step six is fermentation. And after you add the yeast, the first day it's like nothing's happening. Well, those yeast, you know, two become four, four become eight, etc. Wait a minute. Let me, let me write that down. <laughs> Get the numbers, yeah. Okay. Got I'm that up recorded? To 16. Up to <laughs> Do you know what comes after 16? I'll 23? <laughs> there you go. 23, I think. Uh, were you dyslexic in school? Backwards talk, sometimes I do. <laughs> Thank you, Yoda. All right, so uh, we're on... I lost track of the steps. We're on step... Five. No, we're on step six. Fermentation and punching down. Now the wine is starting to ferment. The yeast is doing its, its thing. Eating up the sugar. Eating the sugar. And this is one of the parts that I think is really cool. Those grape skins become like little balloons. The yeast is producing carbon dioxide. Right. And it gets stuck inside the skins. And so all the skins float up to the top of the juice. And so you get like six inches of skins sitting on top of the juice. And so twice a day, you got to do what's called punch down. Because remember, you're going to get your color, your nice red for your red wines out of the, you know, we should probably say just for a second, 
we are red wine experts. That's what we've been doing, right? We know, I mean, a lot of these processes are the same for white wines, but we haven't personally produced any white wines. So don't take our advice on whites. Only listen to us on reds. We don't have any advice on white. Right, exactly. Other than we're good at drinking that, too. So, punching so down. Pun- punching down punching the, down what you, is there a term for that six or ten inches of skins on top uh, of Yes, the, it's, it's called the cap. The cap, the cap, the cap. So you get this cap of skins, and you've got to keep <coughs> pushing it twice a day down into the juice, the must. What's so that you sort of mix it all, all back yeah, together? Yeah, you're pulling all the colors out. The alcohol is dissolving the colors in the skins, and you're getting all that good stuff. Not just color, but flavor out of the skin. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where a lot of the the good process happens in, in fermentation. So, you know, you can't just let it sit there. Twice a day you gotta go down and punch it down. And of course that gives you an excuse to sample, you know, what you've got at that point in time. And at first it's, you know, almost no alcohol and then one percent and over the course of depends on what kind of yeast and also the temperature in, in your area. Uh, in general you wanna be probably like 65 to 70 degrees so that you get a, a reasonable fermentation. If you're colder than that, it might not fully ferment or won't ferment very quickly. If you're hotter than that, you can get what are called the sort of cooked flavors, bad flavors. You never want your, uh, your, your wine while fermenting to go over 80 degrees, say. So, and we had to put fans on it one year because the, the yeast, in addition to producing byproducts of carbon dioxide and Alcohol It'll also heat. produces heat, It'll right? Heat. So, yeah, it's like just like when humans exercise. They get hot. Those Hence yeast. the thermometer. Exactly, because you want to watch. If it gets to 80 degrees, you better bring out your fan. And we only had to do that once. I think we had some right. really active yeast in there. Anyway, uh, keep it within the temperature range. Punch it down twice a day, and you get really nice color and, and flavor into your juice. And this is where the hydrometer comes in because you can use the hydrometer to measure the sugar content essentially but you do it by what's called specific gravity all you do is you get a you know like a a tube or some other container of the juice you stick your hydrometer in it you see how far up or down it floats you read off that scale can't you even just put the hydrometer right into the fermentation vat you know, or does the the cap been, of the, all the grapes and everything get in the way? I've been and thinking of how could do. I invent something that would be the easy way. So how could I invent something that would push the skins out of the way, so you could have juice like a like a giant? I won't say it because somebody will steal my idea and you know make a million bucks. But a giant metal cone you push down in the juice comes through it, but the grape skins are pushed away. Then you could float the hydrometer right there, but. Anyway, you can't, in general, do it because the skins Skins get in the way way. of it. It's got to float sort of freely in the liquid. So we take out liquid, put it into a little test tube, and stick the the hydrometer inside that test tube and look at where it floats. You read off the scale, and it's going to be a specific gravity somewhere around 1.1 when it starts and 1.0 or slightly below, 0.990. Uh, when it's done. So you're telling me we're only measuring one-tenth of a difference here. One-tenth of a difference. Starting till done. Although they spread that way out on the scale on this thing. But yeah, yeah it's but only, that's, it's that's only a 10% change yeah, in yeah. specific gravity. And that that change is due to the sugar, you know, adds a lot of density to the liquid at first. And once the yeast eats it all up, sugar's gone. You now have very close to 
the density of water, which is you know one zero one point zero zero zero, wine actually goes slightly below that because alcohol has a lower specific gravity than than water. So once you get down to like point nine nine three or point nine nine two or point nine nine one, sugar's gone. We're done. We're done. And about you how now, long? How long? How long is this process? This for the actual making of the of the alcohol is really only what. A week to two weeks. It, it does depend again on the yeast and the temperature, but one to two weeks, and and you've got, you know, you've now got wine. You've got wine. It's got, you know, if you started with twenty five percent sugar, you're probably at about fourteen percent alcohol. And by the way, there's a little formula, and we'll talk about that in a future show, so you can get exactly from if I start with the sugar and I burn all my sugar, then I've got this much alcohol. So now you've got, you know, thirteen, fourteen percent alcohol. Now's when it gets fun. In fact, we get to my favorite step step 7 which is step the, seven. the pressing pressing the yeah that's the Depre- most depressing it's not the pressing at all and in fact if you're depressed you want to come and press because it undepresses you depresses you de-depresses, de-depresses you de-depresses you right pressing pressing and this is another place where you can either rent the wine press, or as I recall, this wasn't super expensive to buy. It wasn't, I, I know we bought it our first year. Yeah, a couple hundred bucks. Maybe a couple hundred bucks. So uh, a wine press. A wine press. Probably seen it. It's one of those things that has the, the slats all in a sort of a cylinder or circle mounted vertically. Wooden slats, Wooden yeah. slats. And you basically put the wine grapes, you know, all the must in. You dump it in there and you... Then you put some wood blocks on top, and you crank the thing down, and it squeezes it the juice out of the out of the skins. And the reason I think it's so fun is you've got you know you've got your fully alcoholized wine at that point. And I still remember the first year we did it, where we did all the pressing and we put it into our barrel. Although again, you put it in carboy if you like. And I remember setting a glass under the press after everything was done, and it was still dripping there, and it was filling up that glass like every five minutes, and so we had to take advantage of that, right? So we didn't want to drink a glass of wine every five minutes, but, you know, there it was. It was offered. It was just going to go to waste if we didn't do it. Part of the process. Part of the process, exactly. Tough part of the job, but somebody's got to do it. And it really is wine at that point. It's it's totally, you know, the only thing that you're missing, I'll say the only major thing you're missing, is that... All red wines, and we're talking about red wines here, have oak as a major flavor component. And you have no oak flavor at that point in time. All finished red wines have oak. Yeah. Anything you ever bought at the store right, that's a red right, wine. Right. And there's probably a couple of exceptions to this, but it seems like 99 point something percent of them, they have oak as a, a major flavor component. And at this point, when you press, you've had no exposure to oak. Right. So you're missing that. And in general, it tastes a little sort of fruitier, grapier. It doesn't quite taste like finished wine, although it certainly has the kick. So that was, uh, you know, that was a very fun night. I always like the nights that we press. And that brings you to step eight, where you now store your wine. You have to start aging it. And we've chosen to age in oak barrels, mostly. We do use some of these five-gallon glass jars called carboys. Uh, but the advantage of putting it into the oak barrels, I think there's two 
benefits. One is it starts absorbing the oak flavor. And secondly, it gets a little bit of oxygen into it, which I think helps break down some of the tannins and begins the aging process faster than if you were just straight into bottles or, or into glass. Biology. But, yeah, exactly. More biology. More biology. Lots of biology. Mostly you want, you want to get the oak, the oak flavor, and that's why you put it into the barrels. If you put it into these glass carboys in step eight, you need to add oak in some form. And you can buy oak. These days, you know, this has become pretty popular. I, I, I don't even think 10 years ago you could do this. But these days you can go out and buy oak cubes or oak chips or oak shavings. And it can be American oak or it can be French oak. It can be where, light where are you, toast. Where are you getting this? It's your wine Yeah, back to the wine supply. Right. And again, you can buy a lot of this stuff off the Internet. Or if you can find a wine supply, if you can find a wine supply, uh, you know, place around you, you can buy them right there. And so when I go down to Country Wines, there's a ton of oak there. And I usually buy a few different types because different types add different flavors. And it's sort of fun to put in different flavors and see, you know, see what you get. You know, step eight, you add oak, either by putting the wine in oak barrels or you put the wine into glass, jars, big jar, jars, and yeah, add the oak. Add a couple of different uh, kinds of oak if you like. Taste it and see what you like best. But this, at this point, it really is a matter of taste. personal taste. Personal taste. And in fact, you know what, what really amazed me at this step was we had some American oak and some French oak. And the wine where we put the French oak in, it tasted like French wine. I mean, it really, you know, the French use French oak. And there is a very distinct flavor of French oak that... When you taste it, you'll say, that's French wine. So you can make French wine here in the U.S. with California grapes by sticking French oak in it. Don't let the French know that, though. Which brings us to step nine, which is probably optional. And that's something called malolactic fermentation. There are four kinds of acid in wine. There's malic acid, there's lactic acid, there's citric acid, and there is... The most predominant one, tartaric acid. Apparently, people taste malic acid as twice as sharp as lactic acid. It tastes, you know, whatever. Whatever acid tastes like, you get twice as much of that with malic acid. And so there are bacterias that you can buy. So now we're not in the yeast, we're in bacterias. I don't know why they call this, you know, malolactic fermentation, because you're no longer making alcohol as far as I understand this part of the process, but you can buy this malolactic bacteria and it eats malic acid and its waste product or byproduct is lactic acid and that softens the acidity in wine. And apparently almost all commercial winemakers do this for almost all red wines. Not all white wines. They go through this wine. extra step. They go through this extra step. Yeah. We didn't do it the first year, right? When we made our Zinfandel. We did not. We did not. And, you know, I'm not feeling like we lost a lot by right, that. Right, I agree. Although you're left with maybe a little bit more fruitiness and a little bit more acidity. So it doesn't maybe taste quite as, you know, much like a commercial winery, but quite as finished as a as a commercial. Yeah, right. And then in the second year and third year, we went with the malolactic fermentation. You know, you can do it or not do it. Um, it's not very expensive. Uh, you can buy this bacteria in little packets and stick it in your in your wine and let it do its job. And done, done, easy. 
the uh, step ten. We can't get a whole show out of malolactic fermentation, can we? Uh, you know, we'll probably have to combine that with something else, unless we really start stretching a lot of. There's just not enough there. Apparently not. That means that uh, either show nine will be a short one, or uh, we'll mix in some other interesting stuff. So then, step ten is uh, what's called racking. When the yeast. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Racking. 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 That's what it's called. Racking. Don't ask me why. I mean, it's not like the racks of old where they put people on the no, rack and they I'm stretch picturing. them. That's what I'm picturing. You don't do that to your wine. Somebody drank red wine with fish. They put them on the rack. <laughs> put them on the rack. Is that where that came from? Uh, yeah, actually, that <laughs> that's where it came from. Or a Chardonnay with a steak. Exactly. Hey, on the rack. On pack. the rack for you. Yep. Put down so. that Heinz 57 and get on the rack. That's exactly right. Racking. Racking. I don't know why they name it that. And what's your... Just to make it a little more complicated, this is step 10. You rack from the lees. Not leaves, but lees. L-E-E-S. L-E-E-S, lees. Lees. Okay, so what is... Rack from the lees. Yes, you rack from the leaves. Lees. (laughs) Leaves. Can you rack from the right? I don't think so. And you can't rack from leaves. You got to rack from the lees. So what is that? Remember, we added this yeast. It just seemed like a few little packets at the right. beginning. But, Not you know, much. again, 2 becomes 4 becomes 23. Right. And you eventually get, like, a lot of yeast. Yeast can no longer live in an environment where you have too much alcohol, too much waste product. It well, the alcohol is what stops the Stops yeast. the yeast. It dies, it dies in its own Done. waste. Sounds like an ignominious death, but uh, one that we all benefit from. The yeast eventually uh, dies, and it, it starts to fall out of the wine. Once it's no longer alive and active and sort of mixed in, it falls out and it goes so down to the bottom. It settles in the bottom of your... Of your, either your, your glass or your, your barrels. barrel or your carboy. Exactly. And now you want to separate your wine from the dead yeast, which they call the lees. Ah. And so racking is just a fancy term for putting a tube into the wine and draining out the good stuff and leaving the... Drain the wine and leave, leave the lees, the dead yeast, in the bottom. Exactly. And so we just drain it back into one of our fermentation tanks. So you take it out of the glass or out of the, the oak barrels and use a, uh, a tube and you know, start a siphon and drain it into your, into your original fermentation tank and then take the lees and throw it away. Wash out your barrel or your glass and then put the wine back into it. And by the way, one of the keys at this stage is you don't want to oxygenate your wine too much. In fact, oxygen is the enemy of wine. You never, you know, the reason we're looking at all these little airlocks on top of the barrels is you never want to let oxygen get to your wine. Mm -hmm. It ages it, and if oxygen is getting to your wine, probably some bad yeast is getting to your wine, and you're facing... So you're not just dumping the wine off the top of the lees here. You've got to be careful with some hose work here. Yeah, we'll talk about... Again, when we get into the details, all of all of that, but basically you drain the, the wine off. I hope we're not making this sound too complicated. I mean, this was pretty easy to learn. We had a blast doing it, but there are some things to know if you want to aim for top-quality products. So, so, you know, you drain the good wine into a separate container, rinse out the lees from the old container, and then put the wine back into that container and let it continue to pick up oak. Pick or up the oak. Exactly. And you actually have to do that 
at least three times because the yeast sort of keeps dying and you know of course when you drain some it gets stirred up a little bit right. and you don't want a cloudy wine you want a wine that's going to be perfectly clear when you're done and by the way if you do this well you you don't yeah, do have, you have to filter if you don't have to filter no kidding right and in fact i like wine that isn't filtered i think it's just a little bit richer deeper color and it's one of the cool things compared to the commercial wineries all filter i'm not right. really sure why or most of them filter I like making a wine without filtering, and if you rack carefully three to five times during the course of the many months that your your wine is sitting in the barrels, then you're not going to... No need to filter. No need to filter. Uh, so that's step 10. Step 11, you make uh, a final adjustment of your uh, sulfur dioxide levels. Now, we'll talk about how to measure sulfur dioxide later, but the bottom line is that you want to have uh, sulfur dioxide probably around 30 to 40 parts per million in a finished wine. And, and it, there's a way to measure that. There's I'm a way sure. to measure that, and it probably dropped below that level. By the way, when you started the wine, you wanted it around 50 to 75 parts per million to kill off all the bad yeasts. Uh, the, the sulfur dioxide through the process does sort of go away, get reduced. You want to boost it back up to this level, you know, say 30 to 40 parts per million before you bottle so that your wine will have a good longevity. There's several things that help wine live a long time. One is being in glass with a good cork so that there's not too much oxygenation in there. Another is having a good acidity level and another is having a proper level of sulfur dioxide or potassium metabisulfite. So you make a final adjustment in step 11 on that uh, SO2 level and then you get to bottle. And uh, that's a fun process. Bottling's fun. My, Lots of bottles. You know, this is where we get help from our kids. They like the corker because you can stick a cork in one part and the bottle full of wine in another part and you pull this handle, chunk, chunk. Again, that's a device you can probably rent, but it's just what it takes. That wasn't expensive. That was like no, 70, that was, yeah, dollars. 70 bucks. Um, maybe you want to rent it. Cork. But You're going to put this into making wine. We'll talk about cork. Yeah, cork is, uh, getting the right kind of cork is absolutely key. Those are the uh, the key parts of step 12. You get your bottles and get, get your in corks into them and put them on the sides so the corks don't draw, dry out. You, is that really true? I think that is really true. That's Let the wine keep the cork wet and... Right. Because otherwise, and the, what does that what's that do? The, the cork swells. Yeah, if the cork stays sealed. wet, then it's going to be a little bit more swelled, and therefore it's going to be a bit better seal for oxygen, and the the wine won't be uh, oxidized. It won't grow old before its time. We had some bad corks, you know, one or two, and it seemed like the the wine aged much faster than it otherwise should have, or just seemed farther along the process. Well, anyway, so step 12, you get it in the bottles, you get it corked, brings you to step 13, which I actually found to be a very fun step, and that was labeling. That's a lot of fun. Make your own label. We, uh, by the way, if you're ever out there and find a bottle of Woodbine Estates, ask you know it's it for... Ask for it at your favorite restaurant. <laughs> yes, please do ask for tell it. Tell them to get it on the wine list. And uh, tell them to get in touch with uh, Dave and the other guy if, uh, if they want to uh, you know, carry the best. It's certainly exclusive, right? Our Zinfandel is one of the rarest wines in the world. I believe there's fewer than three cases remaining anymore. That's true, and by the time this broadcast is done, <laughs> it might be even more rare. <laughs> exactly. 
but the labeling is a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I, being an engineer, don't have much artistic talent, but the other guy, you... Passionate. Passionate, right? Passion. Passion for art. And and I must say, I've been really impressed with the 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 chalk and the pencil drawings and the, the uh, even your um, rendition of Hurricane Ivan, which... You know, cause a lot of fun. so much havoc around the country. A lot of fun, and by the way, you can. Uh, this is a good step to get your children involved in. They can create things either graphically with some computer software, or just even some more childlike drawings and scan those and make labels. They just had a hoot nanny doing it. They sure did. Actually, I thought your son did a really nice job on the one label design, which we use on our Merlot now. Uh, for our Merlot, yeah. It has sort of a Picasso flavor to it. You know, it doesn't, I don't know, some of the great artists learn how to draw and then had to unlearn how to draw and then draw like kids, right? And then the simplicity of it. Beautiful. So, it's a lot of fun. How old was Tommy when he did that? Uh, eight years old. Right. So our, one of our wine labels is uh, uh, by an eight-year-old. You know, we're going to have to put some of those labels on the website with our podcast. We'll... Uh, We'll make sure That's we do that. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Make sure we do that so people can see the Woodbine Estates artwork that the other guy has done. Of course, let's not minimize the and fact. And son of other guy. Son of other guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, let's not minimize the fact, though, that that had to be digitally scanned, put into the right, computer, right. wrap the right fonts and text right. and all that kind of stuff, right. print it out in, right. in color. Boring. <laughs> Boring? No way. I tell you, without engineers, you'd be living in a cave. You'd be living in a cave. Enjoying fine art. <laughs> yeah. On the, it'd, it'd be on those the buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Those buffalo and those cave drawings. Absolutely. Although, you know, I'm not so sure quality of life would really suffer if, if we were all living back in caves. I hope we don't get a chance to find out, by the way. As long as we can make wine. Did cavemen, by the way... That might be. A we will. We, we will research history that. History of, of wine. I've got a whole theory on even why oak came into wine. You know, they're probably making it in, you know, these ceramics which would break and and terracotta, you know, right? Exactly. It wasn't me. It was the other guy. And then you know they figured oak was more durable. I don't know. We'll research that and we'll have all the answers on a future show. So you label and then you get to step fourteen, which really isn't a step unique in itself it happens all the way along and that's the the drinking step so here we to need step a 14. To step 14 all right the uh, drinking step but you know frankly i find that the drinking step cuts in pretty nicely uh starting with step you know five slash six once you've put the yeast in and you're fermenting tasting it along the way it's really helped develop my ability to taste you know what is a zinfandel because mm-hmm. i now can tell what zinfandel grapes taste like because i've tasted them before they even start fermenting mm-hmm. all right so the quick overview here at the end get the equipment get some good grapes two. crush and destem them kill the stray yeast with your sulfur dioxide adjust the acidity and sugar add yeast ferment you do the punch down you do the pressing put it in barrels or glass maybe do malolactic fermentation you rack it a few times final adjustment on the sulfur dioxide you bottle it let it age for two three years put your labels on it we'll have to tell the story about when you failed to label the Merlot thought it was a Zinfandel. 
Ah, it was a very disappointing major evening. Major faux pas. A very major faux pas. And then, of course, uh, you know, labeling and drinking. Uh, as we close this uh, podcast, uh, remember we will come back uh, next episode and dive into the details of the, you know, the first steps here. But I will mention that uh, there were some resources we found that were really good along the way. The the winemaker magazine certainly is Excellent. superb for for anybody that's going to be a home winemaker. Also, you know, that magazine has ads from a lot of, you know, good websites and equipment suppliers and so on. So I found not just the articles, but frankly, the, the sponsors to be quite uh, good in there. A lot of resources. Yep, good stuff. And uh, by the way, if you want to cheat and try to do the quick and dirty on this, there's a ton of kits advertised in, in Winemaker magazine. Um, and then uh, another one of the resources that we found very useful was the uh, apparently, there are only two schools, neither one of which you attended, other guy, that uh, teach winemaking. And um, the one that I always remember, I forget what the second one was, maybe it's in Colorado, but the first one, or the one I can remember, is the University of California at Davis, UC Davis. And their website has all sorts of information on it about winemaking. And I remember we found a great publication, it's like 50 pages, called Making Table Wine at Home. It's by George M. Cook and some other guys, like three or four other guys, not related to this other guy. We probably refer to that more than anything else, than anything right? Else. That tells you everything you need to know. Everything that we've gone through here is probably covered at some level uh, in there. So uh, those are great resources. Um, I've got to say that of the new hobbies I've taken up probably in the last decade or two, this one is the most fun and the most interesting. It really is. And, uh, you know, actually I know what I like most about being a home winemaker, but w what is it that you like most about being a home winemaker? Uh, is it the drinking <laughs> He's drinking Step from... Step 14. Step 14. <laughs> I, you know, I love having wine to give as a gift. Just the other day, one of my uh, former employees, Phil, down at uh, Lucas Systems, I brought him two bottles. And it was just like, you know, I, I was so busy at Christmas time, I didn't keep up with, you know, all my gift giving and all that. But I brought him two bottles, you know, with our nice labels and all that. And it's such a unique and personal gift, really but is. almost everybody loves wine. People really, really, their eyes light up when you get them yeah, something so homemade, especially wine. I think I enjoy giving it away almost as much as I enjoy drinking it. That's definitely a good part of the whole process. Well, if you're feeling really good about that giving thing, I'm only three houses <laughs> down. <laughs> yes, you are. Oh, man. Okay, so we're going to have to explain in a future episode why we call you the other guy. And get into the details That's of all coming. of these steps, yeah. And and share, we'll do a little research and see if we can learn a little bit more history, like why the heck do they use oak? How did that ever happen? We've been discussing uh, what we might do to encourage people to send us their suggestions. We really would love to hear from you in terms of uh, what do you think the uh, the right name is for our, our wine cast. Uh, so, yeah, we'd love to uh, hear the uh, recommendations for name. And by the way, we will send a bottle to the best recommendation as solely deemed by us. For can, they, uh, can they choose which bottle we should maybe, uh, maybe list yeah. what we have available? We, well, we'll maybe even one of the rare O3 Ooh, Zinfandels. Rare O3 Zinfandels. Or you can get a uh, Cabernet, a Merlot, or a blend. 
Right. Or if you want to wait around a little bit, we will shortly have Syrah or the 05 Zinfandel or 05 Cabernet. Mm. So we'll give you the choice of which wine you'd like. We'll sort of gloss over the vagaries of the legality of shipping wine from Pennsylvania. I understand that if you tell them at the post office that it's olive oil, it goes right through like, you know. I know olive oil goes right through me. <laughs> I bet it does. <laughs> I don't want to. Let's not go there. We're trying to finish up this show. <laughs> and uh, so we, we are uh, open to suggestions for the best name, uh, the best sign-off idea. And any other things that yeah, are good suggestions, yeah. good suggestions on structuring the show. So um, use the website, send us email, and anything we deem to be an excellent suggestion that we want to take, uh, we will reward you with a bottle of Woodbine Estates, one of the rarest, most exclusive wines in the entire world. Ask for it at your favorite restaurants. And by the way, we also reserve the right to, uh, if you we choose after the fact... To change, we might have you send the bottle back, <laughs> back, half empty with the cork, keeping in mind the previous discussion yeah, about, about the six weeks. Yeah, six weeks. That Merlot we, we didn't will, work out we might, so well. We might request to have you return it to us. Yes. Well, with that, certainly enjoyed spending uh, an hour and a half with you. Thank you for your time, and we look forward to uh, joining you next episode. This is Dave Nelson and the other guy. See you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.